Welcome to Lead a Life Uncommon. Today I have a very special guest on my podcast and I know that you're going to appreciate our conversation. It's an intimate conversation about how to create something beautiful in the face of a broken heart and grief. My former client and friend, Carol Bannons, has put together an incredible piece of art in the way of writing a book filled with poems about her journey through grief. Her book entitled Kintsugi Your Heart, The Art of Living with Grief. She shares her journey in three parts, shattered in pieces, making broken beautiful. And I have to tell you, when I first read this, and I was so honored that she sent it to me before it was published, I was mesmerized. And I was mesmerized with this emotional state of wanting to feel the feelings that she was describing and yet run, run, run far away, not ever wanting to experience those feelings. She beautifully illustrates and articulates the journey of healing from the passing of her husband, Brian. She doesn't hold anything back. Please enjoy our amazing conversation. Here she is, Carol Bannons. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lead a Life Uncommon. Today, I'm going to try really hard not to cry because I have one of my favorite people in the whole wide world here. Um, I've known Carol for, gosh, Carol, what is it, like four years now? I think so. Three or four years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, Carol and I met, um, a couple years ago, I helped her a little bit in her business. And since then she has written a book. I'm going to hold it up. She's going to explain exactly what her title means so that you can understand, um, healing a grief heart. And that's our conversation today. So Carol, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Mary. Yes. So um, when we were working together, we, you know, one of the things that we worked on is like, but figuring out who your ideal client is. So I always give all my clients, as you know, the um, task of if I just met you randomly, what would you say that you do and who do you help? So it's like, I'm going to practice that right now. Hi, I'm Mary. What do you do? Hi, I'm Carol. And I help widows and widowers move from surviving to thriving in grief. There you go. Excellent. And why is that your ideal client? Why are the, why are widow and widowers your ideal client, Carol? Because five years ago, my husband, Brian died and I'm a widow and I didn't start off as a grief coach. As you know, I started off as a pain coach and you quite rightly kept saying to me, are you sure? Are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure. This went on for quite some months until I decided I would be a coach for women who needed to find their joy. How funny, because it was because I'd lost my joy that I wanted to do that. But I knew inside, I think, that I wanted to be a grief coach. And so really, that's how I came to be being a grief coach and helping widows and widowers. And of course, grief encompasses any significant loss. 
So that could be divorce, it can be pet loss, it can be loss of a job, it can be so many things, but I'm sort of focusing on widows and widowers at the moment. Yes. So what, when, you know, I guess this is, you know, a hard topic, right, to talk about because you experienced the pain that we all want to avoid. Yeah, it is a hard hard topic to talk about. And I think that's the problem. And that's why I feel I have to talk about it because it was so hard. I thought I was compassionate. I am. I thought I was caring and I understood when somebody had lost someone. I thought, oh, you know, I know what to say. I didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that the grief would go on so long or feel as bad as it did. Mm. And so I want to help people. Yes. What does that mean that you, you know, because your husband was ill, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's this, like, uh, this misperception, is that right? Misconception, misperception that, um, you know, well, you know, he was sick for a while and you were caring for him. So you were somehow prepared. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, it's really interesting. Anticipatory grief is what we call that. Oh, the moment somebody has a diagnosis like cancer, which is what Brian had, your grief begins and it's called anticipatory grief. So I actually had six years of grief before he died and then the grief Mm. after. And yes, you think you're prepared. I swear to God, Mary, I thought I was prepared. We'd got the funeral prepared, music, order of service, readings, everything, everything was in line and I wasn't prepared. Yeah. You think you are, but you're not because you really don't know what to expect. And the way we grieve depends so much on what's happened in the past for your life. Have you had grief in the past? How has that been modeled for you? What's going on in your life? At the time Brian died, I had a sick mum in England. I was flying to and from. I had a friend with Alzheimer's I was power of attorney for. I had work. I was working with chronic pain. So all of that was pretty heavy. Mm. When he died, it just it just was overwhelming. Yes. And so yes, I knew he was dying. I was very pragmatic about it, and I wasn't prepared. I've never asked you this. Are there things, um, and you and I have talked through the years, of course, you know, are there things that you look back and you think, I wish I would have said that? I guess that's, and maybe I'm asking that from a personal question. You know, I sometimes wonder whether it's, you know, when my parents are going to die and I'm not close to them or something happened to John or River or Sarah or something like that. And I'm like, have I said what I want to say? Did you like, what's that like? Because conversely, I know people who, there there's a diagnosis and then there they don't talk about it yeah they literally don't talk about well really you're in stage 4 or whatever they 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 go through it uh, as though it it's they're in complete denial or i don't know maybe it's because of their relationship they never were t- people that talked before i don't know so what's your experience you know having been for yourself and then also you know out in the world working with people? Yeah, you know, I was very lucky with Brian. We were very open. And when we were in the hospice, he went in the hospice and 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 this is make you laugh. He said, can you get my glaucoma drops? And I'm like, "Um, do you think we need them? And he laughed and said, I guess not. And one of the nurses said, you know, you guys are very open about this. And so we talked very openly. We didn't spend a lot of time on death and dying. 
the one thing um, that he didn't want because it, he had lung cancer and tracheal cancer was to be gasping for breath. So we talked about that. How can we manage that with with the medical staff? And so I think we managed everything very well. On a personal note, did we say what we needed to say? Yes, we did. When I was with him in the hospice, we did. Um, he was not the most demonstrative in in that he was a jazz pianist. He was he, that you know. For me, it was through his music that he spoke. Right. But we did say what we needed. But it's interesting, you know. My dad was very sick with cancer, and when I was getting my uh, convocation for my ARCT, my piano teaching diploma, they flew over from England, and he was very, very sick. And I sat in the hotel room and wrote him a letter. And I wrote a letter about all the things that he meant to me and, you know, all of that stuff and gave it to him. And my mum said he couldn't believe it. It was so precious. Mm. Yes. And also my mum died during COVID. And, you know, we, my sister and I called her every day. So I think I'm a pretty demonstrative person, which means I don't feel any guilt for I wish I had said I love you. I said it all the time. Yes. My mother, I couldn't be there because of COVID, but I knew that she knew how we felt about her because every holiday from Canada for 30 years, I went to England and saw her <laughs> or she came here. Right. We called. So there was, for me, it's about how do you, to to avoid regrets, I think you you need to demonstrate how you're feeling before that time in life. So River knows you love her. River definitely knows. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We we do talk about death, even, you know, she's 17 and we do talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. I guess too, you know, I was raised where we did not talk about it mm -hmm. at all. And my mother's mother died when she was 16. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I had this, I guess, unknowingly this fear, like, oh my God, I'm going to die when River's 16. Like some, you know, how our minds right. are. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, and so kind of moving past that. And she's now 17. I'm like, but she and I will talk about it. And not in a, um, I, probably just not in a, um, not in playful is not the right word. We speak about it on one level lightheartedly. And yes. then we also speak about it candidly. Like, yeah. you know, I love you and you know that. And, you know, I've raised you well, like those kind of things. And she said, hey, you know, if I die, I'm wanting you to remember that I want to be donated to science. Yeah. Damn. We need to talk about. Well, I mean, that's that's amazing, right? That she can right. do that. But yeah, as we have these conversations, and I think as people in our family die, whether that's you know really close, like a husband or a grandparent, if we can talk about them, and so we don't make it such a scary thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things I feel personally is that we can still have that bond with the person that's died, even though they're not physically here. Yes. Now how do we create that? You know, the love doesn't die because the person's gone. Mm. And I think that's really important in grief. You know, we think about, well, if I'm going to start living my own life and moving on is a horrible word, but moving through my grief so that right. I can live, it doesn't mean you have to forget the person that you've lost. And I think people are a little bit scared of that. They think that, well, if I start living life again, it means I'm dishonoring the person that's died or or I'm forgetting them. And I would say actually living your life is honoring that person. Exactly. You I would have a life to live. Let's honor, honor them by living it. Doesn't mean it's easy to do that. 
I mean, you've seen me in the, you saw me actually just about a year and a bit after Brian died and I was not really in a good place. And so it takes time and work to get to a place where you can be in gratitude for their life and not so focused on the absence of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. When we, you you and I were working together, I mean, one of the bonds that you and your husband had um, or, and have uh, is music. Mm -hmm. And that was something that you kind of put on a, Put on the back burner for a while quite a while actually mary because it's really hard to listen to his music because he was his music yes that is who he was and so for me to listen to his music it's like ripping my heart apart um but on the anniversary of his death every year i will listen to a particular cd that i made actually after he died um, and he had recorded his last CD, his, no, his last concert. We were going to make it into a CD and we didn't because he got sick. So mm. after he died, I decided, you know, what would be really nice? I'm going to make that into a CD and give it to all his fans, all the people that supported him, all our friends and our family. And I did that. It was very healing for me. It was like honoring him, sharing him a little bit more. But it's it's a CD I can hardly bear to listen to still. Yes. And that's yes. five years. Well, in in the fact that the other thing that you're saying too is, um, I think you know how do we think about honoring? Besides, mm-hmm. like moving, not moving on. I don't. That is like a, a hard forward. thing. Moving, moving forward. forward. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, because we know that our loved one would not want us to stop living yeah. life because yeah. it's such a gift, and they know that. Um, and so what you said about, you know, even now listening to that CD or that was part of your healing, can you speak a little bit about what you observe with people who judge themselves for their grieving process or that as a society, you know, we don't actually know how to be supportive to people going through and whatever grieving process, right? Because, you know, I've heard people say, and I don't know whether this was like on a TV show to be candid or where it like or something. I just feel like it was something where someone said, you know, my, my husband died and the other person was like, well, I got a divorce. And it's like, you know, it's almost too, that we have this hierarchy of what well, death trumps all like other grief or, and maybe it does, or maybe it doesn't. And it, or how, as a society, we judge grief, we judge people's grieving process. We, we think, why are you, you know, why are you like ladybug is sitting here my cat of 17 yeah. years. Why are you grieving over a cat, right? It was I just- know. And it, and it's like, except, oh my God, what is today's date? Um, today. Oh. Is it today? It was the fifth. Um, and to, so that would just, I, I remember that the other day and then the fifth came and went, but, um, yeah, five years. And I'm like five years. I mean, why would I be still thinking about my cat? Yeah. And it's the emotions uh, that mm-hmm. week. And I think this is where, and then I want you to speak to it. So this is where the, I think we get into to judgment. We do. We because do. someone might be like, why do you have your cat and all these little ladybug things sitting around right here at my desk? That's because she used to sit on my lap literally for years while I was working. But also she was like the first, you know, she was there for a lot of things that, uh, that hum- other humans were not, but it's like, we judge, Oh, it's a divorce. You got a divorce and he was an asshole or it's just a freaking cat or it was your husband and, you know, and he was sick for a long time. So why wouldn't you be glad that he passed away? Now he's out of pain. It's like, we have all of this judgment around 
people's feelings, first of all, in general, but to this topic, we have judgment around how someone should grieve, how long they should grieve, what things deserve a, a higher rank of grief. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, it's a really challenging one because, you know, it's interesting. I'm in Facebook groups on grief and there's often a lot of this. And oh, yeah. David Kessler, who's my mentor, says, you know, your grief is the worst grief. Mm. Leave it there. There is no need to judge. So your cat was very special to you. She got you through some really difficult times. There was unconditional love there. You love that cat. That is a significant loss to you. You're absolutely entitled to grieve that cat. Now, is that grief going to be the same if you lost a child? I would say no. Probably not, right? But we don't know because if some people only have an animal, and that is their lifeline, their only companion. Who are we to judge their feelings of loss? And I think so. I think all I can say on this one is don't compare. Yes. Don't compare your grief, the hierarchy of grief. Megan Devine, who wrote It's Okay to Not Be Okay, uh, talks and she thinks child loss, you know, is pro- it's right up there. It's one of the yeah. worst things anybody I- could possibly imagine. And yet somebody losing their husband who has no child that's the worst thing for them to imagine. So I think we cannot compare that. Mm -hmm. And we do, we judge it. And I can remember when Brian died said, somebody said to me, I lost my cat. I know how you're feeling. And I'm thinking at the time I'd never lost an animal. And I thought, no, you really don't. And I think that's one of the things we don't know what to say to people. Yes. I was going to speak to that. Yeah. And so give some, give some input. What do we say? I mean, What I say, and this may or may not even, I don't know. Okay. So what I say is I say something along the lines, like, I wish I had the words to say that would help you feel differently or help you through this. I, and that's all I can say. Cause I don't. That's one of the best things you can say. I actually post on Facebook, it blew up, you know, what's the worst thing? What's the one thing you wish people wouldn't say to you? And one of them, let's talk about what you shouldn't say. Yeah, let's write that down. Everybody get your pen out. Everybody get your pen out. Never start a sentence with at least. At least he had a long life. At Mm. least he'll have another child. At least he's not in pain anymore. At least you're young enough to find another husband. Well, Yeah, some of the... So at least, don't start with at least. The other thing which is really interesting. And I think people don't think about this because if I were to see you, I'd say, hey, Mary, how are you? In grief, when somebody says to you, how are you? You want to say to them, how do you think I am? Yeah. Awful, because you're so sensitive, right? You're so sensitive. And how are you just, it's like, you know, I'm not good actually. And then the griever doesn't really want to say that. You often put up a mask and go, I'm fine. Because does that person really want to hear? the sorrow that you're feeling are they the right person to hear it yes um, don't don't say um it was god's will or this is a test or you know god wanted another angel in heaven oh my god okay <laughs> right you you are triggering me so badly right now i feel so yes i oh that is i can't even fathom but i I guess people obviously say that because you've done your research here. Oh my God. I have listened to the other one. It's like, suck it up and get back to normal. And I said, really? Somebody did someone say that? They did. 
not to me, but to other people. And it blows my mind. And I think it comes back to, as a society, we're grief phobic. We don't understand grief. And therefore, we don't know what to say. That that was a cruel thing to say. I think most people just don't know what to say. And I think we have to give them grace with that, which is hard as the griever. But I think you do, because most people really do. They mean well, but they're uncomfortable. And so... Rather than say nothing, they'll say, oh, well, you know, at least she was, an, you know, at least she got to an old age. Yeah, she did. Doesn't mean I love her any less. Right. Doesn't mean I'm not going to miss my mum who I phoned every day. And so I think what you said is perfect. I think sometimes you can just say this sucks. Give somebody a hug or I, I have no words. Oh, the other thing not to say is I understand how you're feeling because you don't even if you've lost your husband and I've lost mine our relationships are different everything in our life is different and so how I'm experiencing grief may be quite different from how you're experiencing it so I think the best thing is to take a breath before you say something right just say something like I just don't have the words I don't know what to say but I'm here to listen yes. I'm here for you those are it 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 and I really acknowledge how hard it is for people to approach people in grief. It is really hard. You're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's really hard to pick the right words. And if you know the person, perhaps you can just go up and give them a hug. Yeah. Sometimes that speaks volumes, doesn't it? It does. And I think the other thing too is, you know, we don't, um, we're, we're also in such a society where it's like, you know, stay young, you know, blah, 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 like all of that thing. And, and as opposed to like, this is actually a normal part of life. Yes. And, yeah. and whether someone dies young, dies old, tragic disease, illness, whatever, like this is the full breadth and span of this human experience. And we, as a society, I feel like are in chronic denial of it. Yeah. We are, and I think this really speaks to when people go into hospital, maybe your 85-year-old mother goes into hospital. You know, if she's got cancer or something, really, is it kind to try and extend that life another year with her not being that well? I think we have to really think about quality of life and that, that 100% for sure we will all die at some point. Sometimes it's not when we it seems too early. And of course, your 85-year-old mum, you'd like another day with her. Of course you would. But is that a quality of life for her? So actually, there's research. We know that when people go into hospital, and if you're the family and you're saying, doctor, doctor, do everything, you can't let them die, you're not going to grieve as easily, not mm. as well as somebody who says, thank you, doctor, make them comfortable or what can we do if you're fighting death sometimes that's not good we have to think about that now I'm talking about older people of course you know if you have a young child you know or if you're a young mother with stage four breast cancer and you have children and you want another month with that child you're going to do everything you can to fight it but I think we have to accept that death is a part of life it's that circle of life how are we going to respond to it? How are we going to talk about it so that it is acceptable to grieve, to feel those feelings and that normal isn't normal anymore. I think that's the other thing you change. Grief changes you. Mm. 
Um, what does that mean for you? Mm -hmm. For me, it, I think, can I say this? I have a bullshit meter now. I, it's your podcast. I can what is that? that bullshit meter, BSM? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, BSM. Yeah. Because you know what? I'm just not prepared to take that anymore. You know, I know what's important. Yes. And what's important to me. And I also know who I want to be around. You know, you get to choose who you want to spend time with. For me, that was important. And also, what really surprised me um, with grief is that there can be growth. It's post-grief growth. There can mm. be. You don't expect it. And it isn't there for everybody. But for me, there was, you know, the strength to give up my 36-year career as a physiotherapist. It's a big deal. I loved being a physio, yeah. physical therapist for the Americans. Yes. I loved, I loved it. It was a job I, I was passionate about. But I came to a point because I was so depleted and hadn't felt my emotions that it was like, enough is enough. I'm going to be a coach. Yes. And so, you know, the growth is doing all the courses, all the coaching, and then writing. So we have to... I, I can't even remember where the question was. I think I, I diverted, but yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, yeah. well, because this topic is, is so big, right? We could just yeah. talk, talk, talk about it. Yeah. Um, so to this point, I want to hold up your book. I just love your book. I was so honored to be able to, um, and to share this now with everyone and to get a sneak peek and read it. And Carol, you know, uh, there's so many things that um, being along with this journey with you, which I really value and appreciate. Thank you. Yeah. Is to see your, your um, willingness to allow yourself to grow, allow yourself to make these hard decisions, like, you know, becoming a coach now doing this work and <clears throat> excuse me, and doing this healing where you have allowed yourself to be open to these new possibilities just within yourself. And this is, I think what birthed your book, right? So it's so beautiful. I was, I was mesmerized. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I said about it is you were able to capture these emotions that we don't want to feel, but on one level, they were so palpable that I was feeling them with you. And, and, and it made me feel peaceful on many levels as well. Mm. Um, because sure, you know, I can, I can be in denial of grief or, you know, you, yeah. you know, bury the feelings, let's eat the feelings yeah. drink the feelings, all the, you know, covering up the feelings and just the way you, you wrote. And I had a hard time even picking a, a single <clears throat> poem in here. And, and I've gone back through and I've reread some things and I still actually don't have one. So why don't you share this story about how this even came about and, and, um, how it just like poured forth from you, which is so amazing that this was like, um, um, you know, your experience with your husband planted these seeds, if you will, this, and you, you've always been a creative person, you're a, mu a musician. So, but it planted these seeds. And, and this is what grew from that. When you said about, you were able to, um, you know, just move through that healing and what is the post grief growth. So tell it, tell, um, the story of your book. Okay. First, I've never written poetry before. Yeah, I know. That's what's so amazing. I know, I know. And 
the birth of the book really comes from me suppressing all those emotions yeah. for four years mm. so that I could keep going. So I pushed them down, pushed them down. As you know, I went back to work three days after my husband's funeral. Okay, but let's pause for that. Yeah. You went back to work and you are not a brain surgeon. No. You, you know, you went back to work three days after Brian passed or his funeral. What what was that about? Yeah, because I thought I had to, because I thought I had to get back to normal, because I thought I could cope, Mm. because I thought I was strong, because I'd read books and I was good and I I could manage it. I couldn't, obviously. And I didn't realize that. And where I went from six patients a day, then it went down to five, then it went down to four, then it went down to three. And I took myself away and thought, Carol, this is not working here. This was at three years. And I burnt out because I hadn't allowed myself to fully grieve. I really hadn't. I thought I had. And part of that, and I will come back to the book, comes from how has grief been modeled to you in the past? And I know that you know that when I was younger, my sister died and my parents didn't model grief well. They didn't know any better. So please don't think I'm judging them for listening. I'm absolutely not but we we were told that she had had a, a mountaineering accident and we had no funeral, no memorial, no nothing. And her name wasn't spoken again. Mm. Well, how awful is that for the siblings that were surviving? And for my mother and father, they didn't they didn't know, you know, English, keep calm, carry on, be strong. All of those things we think about. And it's not a good way to do grief, but that's what I had been modeled. So I kept calm. I carried on and I did that until I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. At that point, I still didn't know that I hadn't really fully grieved. I did. I felt pretty depressed, actually. And I reached out and got some counseling, which was helpful. But I then spoke to a friend who I hadn't spoken to for a long time. And they said, you know, you were full of joy. so full of joy when you were younger and I'm like really okay all right and the creative juice just started to flow and I started writing poems and I honestly didn't think I'm going to write a poem about this it really was just flowing and it was that almost expunging almost sort of getting those emotions out of me onto paper whereas Brian would have done it on the piano I thought I I wrote and they just came. They just came. And when I, I actually recorded them as an audio book, and that was really challenging reading them because I could feel the pain in them as well. Wow. A lot of pain. Yes. Tell us about your title. Kintsugi Your Heart. I know. Well, at Valentine's Day, I had written a post called Kintsugi Your Heart. And Kintsugi, for those of you that yeah. don't know, is a, is a Japanese art where they take a broken pot and they put it together with gold so they make something beautiful. And I thought, well, you know, grief is so much like that. You have this shattered heart. Somehow you have to figure out how to put it together with love so that it's whole but different, but it can still be beautiful. That was yes. my thing. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast versus 
watching this video, I'm, I'm holding up her book and there's this beautiful, beautiful heart on it. And it's, it is mended with molten gold. It's just beautiful. And, um, the art of living with grief, of course, Carol Bannon's, you know, I showed river this and she was like, Oh, Kinsey. And, and I was like, how do you know what that is? I'm so glad she did. I know. I was like, Oh my gosh. So do you have a favorite poem? I, and I'm putting you on the spot. I don't know if you even have your books in front of you. Do you have, have okay. What's your favorite poem? Can you read one of those for us, please? And everybody needs to get the audiobook for sure. In addition to a hard copy, um, because of course we can all listen to your beautiful voice all day. Oh, thank you. Well, I can, you know, uh, it's really, really hard to, be. it's, so randomly um, just like allow the universe energy, just flip open and allow whatever page comes open to be the one. No, I'm just going to open up. All right. Let's pick one from, from sort of the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. There, here we go. I, I don't know why this one, if my heart could speak, if my heart could speak, it would shout out. Come back to me, my love. I can't go on without you. If my heart could speak, it would whisper, I love you, I love you. If my heart could speak, it might break as the words tumbled out like falling rocks. If my heart could speak, it would ask to be healed, to be held together by your love. If my heart could speak, it would say, here, here you may stay as cherished memories, tucked away, surrounded by the beating pulse of love. That is my heart. Oh, Carol, I have chills again. I'm so proud of you and happy for you that you've created this and shared it with the world. And everyone, I just want to share with you too, the way that she, which I thought was brilliant, the way that you've put your book together is in three sections, shattered in pieces and making broken beautiful. And there's about a dozen and a half or so per, um, per section. And, you know, it, it just shows the journey and, yeah. and some of these poems are palpable. Yeah. Palpable as yeah. the one that you read as well. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you, Carol? Cause you and I, as you know, we could talk all day. Cause we do talk for, you know, every now and again, we just jump on old school, like, Hey, Instead yeah. of always setting up a time, we just, you know, we're old school people sometimes, but how can yeah. people reach you, Carol? You can go to my website, www.carolbannons.com. And you can contact me there. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, any of those. And I'll put, of course, the links all here, but yeah. I know you said that you have, um, a meditation that you want. Yeah. I would love for you to tell a little bit about that so that people can, um, take it, you know, grab that. What is that? Absolutely. So in grief, often we have something called a grief burst. And that's when you're just washed over by a moment in grief. You're not sure why. Sometimes it's a trigger. Sometimes mm. you're minding your own business. And all of a sudden you cry and you feel this wave of grief. And so I created just a five minute, just a nice little um, meditation called ease your grief burst meditation. Go to the website and you can just click on the thing that says download my meditation and you can get that. Wow. Um, does it, do you still have those moments, Carol? I do, do you know what? I do. They're very rare, but I do. Initially in grief, you have them a lot, a lot. You can be driving, 
and it, they happen you know you just don't even know when but occasionally I do yeah I do still because I want people to know this this is what I want people to know I want them to know that grief is normal and natural I want them to know your grief is unique everybody grieves differently so please don't compare and don't judge there is no timeline in grief you don't have to rush through it it takes oh it takes as long as it takes and on average for a significant loss it takes five to eight years. Wow, I didn't know that. No, I know. And that was shocking to me. Um, and to be honest, I only started feeling human at four years. So I, I sort of see that. But I think as you do the grief work and as you learn how to feel the emotions and allow them rather than push them away, I'm sure that timeline can be changed. But the other thing is unresolved grief is responsible for 15 to 20% of psychiatric issues mm. so we have to open up this you know the, the conversation about grief we have to allow uh, emotions we have to not feel pushed by society to get back to normal and to hurry through it because there is no hurrying and you'll do it in your own time but you shouldn't do it alone it should be with support well and I think um reaching out to you I know that you this is what you do for your business right yeah. is supporting yeah. people um, in grief. And I know you said widow and widowers, but I also know that, you know, that you have, um, the ability to work with anyone around any specific grief for sure. Yeah. And also I just want to offer that, you know, your book is available. I believe you said on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. And yes. so if you're listening and you know, someone who's it have, who is experiencing grief or, um, you know, they're going through a challenge, whether it's a death or whatever that grief is for them. This would be a book. This would be a gift that would help you be able to say to them, I love you. I'm here for you. I don't have the words, but I know these words will be an elixir. Your poetry, Carol, is an elixir for people. And I, I want them to be able to embrace it in, in all the stages um, because you've done such a beautiful job. And I'm just so honored that I've been a little part of the journey. It just makes me well up and just being so proud of you. And I appreciate your candor and your connection and your emotion and the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled for you that you've created something that is such a contribution. Oh, thank you. And thank you for being a part of it and part of my journey. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Okay, everybody go buy Carol's book and we will see you. Oh, one last question, Carol. I, how do you define leading a life uncommon? Oh, um, I think having giving yourself permission to feel the feelings and be mm. true to yourself and not faking it, not the I'm fine. I think if you can be honest with yourself, it opens up a lot of doors to everything mm. else. I totally agree. Thanks, Carol. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.